people depend on the financial system, I mean, the education system to teach their kids these things. But the earlier you introduce your kids just to the concepts, it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to money, but just some financial concepts, the, the, more, the easier it is for them to grasp when they're older. So for example, like understanding the time value of money, right? So we understand what getting paid by the hour means. So when we make purchases and, you know, I'm just like, damn, that's, that's I know how long it's going to take me to make that money back. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast. Smiley, man, we got a, a brand new connect, the plug, the money plug on this episode. Before we get into that, let me uh, let me read the bio of our uh, current guest here. So Marquia Brown is also known as the money plug on social media. She's an award-winning financial educator and content creator with a social media reach exceeding 1 million followers. As an accredited financial counselor and member of the AFCPE, Marquia specializes in breaking down complex financial concepts, particularly for younger demographics. Her expertise has garnered attention from prominent outlets such as the New York Times, CBS News, and others, solidifying her reputation as a sought-after speaker in financial industry and in financial industry circles. Marquia's background as a retired U.S. Army veteran, thank you for your service, and her active involvement with Kappa Epsilon Psi Military Incorporated underscore her commitment to both financial literacy and community service. With that, Marquia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I have a few questions here. Um, I guess I'll start from the top here. So you were in the military for a bit there. How, how long did you serve? Almost 10 years. I got out nine and like three quarters. Okay. I was medically retired in 2019. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thank, thanks for your, your service there. More than a bit. You are in there for almost a decade. That's awesome. So tell me about how being in the military or perhaps something outside the military influenced you to pursue a career in uh, finance, specifically being a financial planner, uh, advocate, uh, coach, et cetera. Tell me about, about that transition and that journey. So the thing about being in the military, it was probably the best thing that had happened to me. Um, I joined fresh out of high school. So it gave me that discipline I needed. It gave me that structure and it gave me something to aspire towards. What it didn't give me was life skills. I knew how to shoot, move, communicate, but I had no idea how to invest my retirement. I had no idea how to save. I had no idea how to how bills really worked. It didn't teach me the things I needed to be a functioning adult outside of the military. And I didn't realize it until I got out of the military the first time in 2014. So I'm four years in and out. Um, at the time, I was going through a really nasty divorce. Um, it was an abusive relationship. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the Army was trying to send me to Hawaii. And that was not happening. I'm from Baltimore, for, for contact. It's about as far away as you can get. So, like, you know, I, I was like, no, I'm out. Like, that's it. I'm done. And I thought I was grown. I was like, I did my, I had a really good, like, MOS. Um, at the time, I was a signals collection analyst. I was like, I'm going to get out and I'm going to find me a job, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be straight. And then life happened and I was not straight. Um, and it was, it was such an eye-opening experience. I had two kids at the time. 
I had no money saved. I didn't know what a credit score was. And I just felt so unprepared. And I just kept saying, like, if I can get back in the army, I'm going to do it right. Like, once everything settles down with life, I'm going to get back in and I'm going to do it right this time. And so I did that. Um, my job required me to have a top secret security clearance, which if anybody knows anything about that, you got to have your money together. So I took some time. I took about a year, got my divorce. My mom um, completely cancer free. Um, you know, my kids are doing good. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm ready. And so um, the riots in Baltimore happened. Uh, I will never forget that because I actually went in labor that day. Uh, I was induced that morning and we, me, my husband watched holding our new daughter from the hospital bed, the riots in Baltimore. And I lived in the heart of all that. And he was in the National Guard at the time and they came and picked him up from the hospital. He, he didn't even get to sign our daughter's birth certificate. And I was like, yeah, no, I just ain't it. I love Baltimore. It will always be a part of me, but we out. Yeah. And the quickest way out was my closest recruiting station. So I took about a month to get back in the shape. Went to my closest recruiter and was like, all right, what you got? It's time. Yeah. <laughs> so ended up getting back in and I remembered my commitment to myself. Like we said we were going to do it right. We're finally above water. I mean, I went out the water, but like my head was, you know, I wasn't drowning. Yeah. And so I took the time to educate myself. I started reading books. I started going to like little workshops that they would have. Um, I started, uh, shout out to the USO and all of the FRGs and stuff that was attached to the units that I had been a part of, because like they would have stuff for families teaching us how to grocery shop, teaching mm. us how to coupon and stuff like that. And so I started going to those and it was like, I'm one of those people where I hyper fixate on something. So when I had set my focus on personal finance, I need to know everything about it. I, I, need, I need to eat, sleep, live, breathe money. Especially because apparently I like kids because I had a whole bunch of them. Okay. So I was just like, this is just kind of expensive. The army don't pay nothing. So I need to figure something out. Right. So eventually, like over the years, I, I learned from a lot of trial and error, but also from a lot of super informative resources. And something that I started noticing is that like, yes, we have the budget Nisa, who hands down is like my idol. But that was really it. Like I didn't, wasn't familiar with any other black women who, you know, were held as like beacons of like education in personal finance or like who people could look up to and aspire towards and having little black girls. I was just like, this is not, I don't like that. Mm. And mm. then um, I got out of the military. I was medically retired in 2019 unexpectedly. Mm. Um, and we moved to Germany. Mm. So I had all this knowledge. Um, it was the height of the pandemic. I lived in Europe. So for those of you who experienced the pandemic in America, it was 10 times worse in Europe. Wow. We had assigned times to grocery shop. Um, it would take like two hours to get into the post office to check your mail some days. Wow. There was like, it, you couldn't leave the town after a certain time. Like you had to stay in your home. It was bad. Wow. But TikTok was blowing up at the time. Okay. So I was like, you know, all my soldiers were still reaching out to me like, hey, I, you know, because when I was in, I'm one of those people, if I know something, I'm telling everybody, I can't hold water. Yeah. So whenever I would learn something, I would teach everybody that was around me. So my soldiers were still calling me and was like, yo, what this mean? Or how do I read this? Or what's that? Or how can I get this? So I was like, you know, I could just start posting on TikTok. And then um, I never forget, New Year's Eve, uh, 2020, I got drunk. And I was like, you know, when it was 2019, and I just had my son and I got drunk and I got on TikTok and I was like, I'm going to do 365 days of credit tips. Posted it. 
I had like a hundred followers at the time. Nobody was checking for me. Nobody was paying me no attention. Yeah. People was laughing at me, actually. <laughs> I woke up that next day and that video had like a couple thousand views. And people was like, oh, I'm going to follow you. Oh, I'm going to do this. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. Oh my God, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> and so I felt obligated after that. And so I did it. I did it. I did it scared. I did it not knowing what it could be, but I did it. And man, it opened up so many doors for me and gave me even more opportunities to continue my education in personal finance. And I went from just a girl who was trying to do a thing to now I'm an accredited financial counselor, certified financial education instructor, wow. certified credit score consultant. I've, I've I got to interview Nicki Minaj. Like what? I've, I've done like stuff. Like, and it's just this is such a ride. Yeah. I'm just so thankful that I get to experience it and then share the experience almost live with so many people to yeah. kind of inspire them. Like if I could do it and I look like this, just imagine what you can do. Right. And you look kind of look like me too. Right. Like the sky's the limit for us. Right. And so it's definitely, it's been a journey, but I've been having so much fun. You know, Marquia, I'm listening to your story and one huge takeaway, there's many, but one is jumping in. Right. You, you're like, you, you didn't waste time and think of all the reasons why it couldn't happen. In fact, you dove in both feet head first. Let me consume all the content I can about this. You started sharing it and realized that, yeah, people want this information, you know? And then, like you say, it just blew up all of a sudden. I think something that a lot of people don't get that is if you're, if you, if you, if you're passionate about something and you really are doing it because you enjoy doing it, the door is going to, are going to open up, you know, options will just be, you know, thrown at opportunities will be, be thrown at you. That's just something that, that came to mind as I listened to what you were sharing. Smiley. My mom hates it. She <laughs> hates it. Why? Why, why does your mom hate it? Why does she hate it? Because I've always yeah. been like that. I jump in hit first with everything. I'm so headstrong. Like I was a kid. I've been, I've been reading on a college reading level since around um, about, I want to say about, almost kindergarten, I want to say. Whoa. Like, I was always way too... My mom was an avaricious reader, and I, my, me and my sister are two years apart, and we were super tight, so she was already in school, so I was doing her work from home. So, like, but I've always been, like, obsessed with books. Like, last year, shout out to everybody who followed my Kindle journey, but I read 200 books last year. I'm on a two-year reading streak on my Kindle. I read at least one book a week. Like, it's, it's like, I love immersing myself in something and my mom hated it i was captain of the debate team all throughout middle school high school i was on a basketball team band cross oh country. no like every, you're every parent's nightmare captain of the debate team like like you could your mother couldn't tell you anything you got an argument for everything <laughs> and you and got my evidence online right up. i got i got references yeah i got all that right right and uh, it's so crazy because even when I first joined the military, oh man, I, they used to call me can't get right. I was always in trouble. I just, could not, I just could not let stuff go. Uh, and you know, it's crazy how the one thing that everybody was just like, this is going to be the thing that causes you the most trouble, stop it, ended up being my greatest gift. Mm, and it's just wow. so crazy how, you know, timing is everything. I would say there's two timelines the one you make and then the one that's really for you. Yeah. And so I, so I just knew I was gonna be president. I was going, I was gonna do all the things. I had all these plans, 
And then life happened. And then none of those plans meant anything. Mm. And so that was when I was like, all right, I'm listening. What, what, what you need me to do? Okay. What, what you got for me, universe? Yeah. And, you know, I always, <laughs> I always make sure I make this distinction, too, when people listen to my story, is that a lot of my story comes from a place of privilege. Serving my country was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, especially once I became a parent. But it also afforded me the ability to do the things that I've done. To, to be like, you know, to be able to say, I'm not pouring in the cups that don't pour into me. I had that financial backing of my check clear on the first and the 15th. You get on, like a lot of people when they make, you know, decisions about what they're passionate about or even how they make their money, it's based on the money. They got mouths to feed. They have bills to pay. All of those things are covered for me. And that allows me to be all in with the money plug. That allows me to be as dedicated and, and as hard charging and all that stuff because I know that my success or failure as a business owner, as an influencer, has no bearing on my income and no bearing on the quality of life that my children have become accustomed to. And so that gives me a sort of freedom in a sense. I get to be unapologetically myself. I get to not want to code switch and be proud about it. You know, mm. I get to do all these things. Um, but it's all stemming from that place of privilege because I served my country at such a young age. Well, I want to I thank you as well. Dre, thank you twice for your service. I want to thank you for your service as well. But um, I, I, I'm just amazed that you read so many books, which is amazing. So tell me, out of the books you've read from financial perspective, what are the top two that you would recommend to someone listening to this, starting on a journey? And then just from your life experience, what is the best one book you would say, whether it's finance, relationship? God, spiritual, best book you've ever read. So two on finance and one being your best book oh, ever. Oh, you coming hard. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go to people. I never can say I have a favorite book because it always changes depending on like what season of life I'm yeah. in. Yeah. Um. So my my favorite book, my top two right now, and one this was her first book. It just came out last year. She's an, and I got to meet her personally, and I think that's what gave me such a tight connection to the book. She's a first generation Haitian American. She's an amazing woman. Um, and her name, her name is Melissa and her book is called, so this is why I'm broke. So this and is why I'm broke. what I loved. Yes. What I loved about her book was that it was so real. A lot of times when we read these personal finance books, like I know everybody in their mama probably read the total money makeover and something by Sue Zorman mm -hmm. and which is cool, but I couldn't relate to none of that stuff that lady was saying to me. Like, with Melissa in her book, she used her life and her life experience being the one of multiple children of immigrants um, to really sink in some of those critical financial skills. And this, it was one of those books that was like, damn, where was you when I was going through my thing? Like, you know, it was one of those. Mm -hmm. um, and that book, man, it's, I share it with everybody. When I tell you I'm always on Amazon buying another copy, I feel like the Jehovah's Witness, the way I be passing it out. Like, listen, have you heard about this author? Like, I'm telling you, I'm obsessed with this book. Um, my next favorite book, hands down, got to be um, anything written by Tiffany Alice. She is my idol in the sense of her story is so inspirational. She is so, like, how she uses her life and like things that are common you know stories in the black community to really help us understand these financial concepts and to understand why it may not have been clicking before she doesn't make you feel bad about being where you are right now as long as you're committed to making that change um and that that not having that shame factor is big right because a lot of a lot of 
prominent people in the personal finance space or just in the finance industry, period, really harp on shame to get people to change their financial behaviors. When in reality, if you want a behavior to really change, you got to get them to understand why were you making this decision in the first place? What was it doing for you? Why is it not serving you? And now what can you do differently to make better decisions that will serve your true focus? And I absolutely love anything she writes. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm eating it up. I'm telling you. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. I love that. And then two big books for me. Oh, I got one right here. See, listen, I'm telling you, I got books all over my house, even in my kitchen. This is Twice as Hard, Navigating Black Stereotypes and Creating Space for Success. And I know I'm going to butcher the name. I'm so sorry. But Opayemi Sofaluke and Raphael Sofaluke. And man, this book was just so eye-opening. It has so many prominent figures in the Black community who um, talk about different experiences they've had, different lessons that they've learned. Um, and just talking about like, it's really talking about building your network. And as a Black woman entering a predominantly white space, and I'm a non-traditional Black woman at that, I got green hair, facial piercings, and I have a very colorful vocabulary the Army left me with. So, you know, I, I, I've I'm not exactly, people not really chomping at the bit to get to know me, you feel me? So, so, you know, this book was really, was really profound for me. And it's something I often go back to and just kind of like reread and kind of pour into myself with, um, knowing that I'm on the right journey. It just looks different right now. That's it. Like, you know, and I'll, I'll find the, the village that I'm supposed to be a part of when I'm supposed to be a part of it, you know, just being patient and stuff like that and talking about the different parts of building a network. Um, especially professionally, like, for example, if you need sponsors to host an event, right, how can you position yourself as a Black woman, right, into these these positions to be like, hey, look at me, give me your money. So <laughs> it's a very, it was a very profound book. So if you are a, a business person or you're in a space, no matter what it is, I highly suggest this book. Okay. And then um, when I was in, I didn't go to first grade, I skipped first grade, so I was in second grade, and I've read two books that really opened my eyes to a lot. For those of you who have never been to Baltimore, Baltimore is predominantly black. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand what my blackness meant to people who aren't black until um, I was really older, but my first, I think, introduction to it was when I read Native Son by mm -hmm. Richard Wright. Mm -hmm. um, I read that when I was in second grade, and man, wow. the story <laughs> of Bigger Thomas, and wow. like how that whole situation played out was just so eye-opening for me. Because I never, I was never raised to believe that my blackness was a weapon or was a threat. Mm. And so to, to be exposed to something like that so early was definitely a blessing because then when it did happen, I was kind of prepared for mm. it in a sense. It was like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Like I was hoping for the best, but kind of preparing for the worst. Um, and I definitely think it helped shape my relationship with non-black people. Mm -hmm. And be, especially once I joined the military, the field that I was in was not really black friendly let alone woman friendly. Mm. So it kind of prepared me for that. And then of course, the miseducation of the Negro. Mm -hmm. I also read that that year. And man, mm. that was just, that started my journey with um, accepting my blackness mm. and, and really knowing that it wasn't a mistake. It, I'm supposed to be like this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm supposed to be here and I deserve to be here just like everybody else. It doesn't matter what the world is telling me, Right. I, I know for a fact that God made me this way for a reason. And I'm supposed to do something with my blackness. I'm supposed to be something with my blackness, despite what everybody else tells me about it. Mm. Um, and that was also something that was very profound. It helped kind of break a lot of kind of mental ceilings for me as a kid. There was no such thing 
as a limit for me. Yeah. I, that's why I did everything. I joined every club. I, I, I poured myself into every endeavor I was a part of mm. um, because I knew that it doesn't matter what nobody else tells me about my blackness or, uh, or about what it means to them. As long as I know what it means to me, that's all that matters. Yeah, the confidence, the security. So, so yes. Marquita, let me think about uh, let me think, as I think about what you shared. You know, something that I, I mentioned on this podcast over and over again is our horizon is directly correlated to our exposure. You were fortunate in that you were unique. You were unique. It seems like not uh, an adequate enough word, but for now, I'm going to I'm going to go with unique. And that you were consuming content at two years old that some people leave college having not consumed, you know, in terms of these books that you read, you know, Native Son and others that helped you build this confidence and understanding of who you are and how you are perceived in the world. And you talk about the value that gave you and being able to, you know, be nimble you know, when needed and, you know, and, and adapt when needed in these environments that weren't Baltimore, you know? So, the, so I, I guess, you know, hopefully it's one of the takeaways for those listening and watching this is that, you know, exposure is everything. You know, you said that you were on the debate team, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you did all these amazing things that all have just set your horizon to the stratosphere, you know, and, and beyond. Tell me this. Let's talk about the community a bit as it relates to finance. So you're an, you're a, an accredited financial planner. Tell me some about some of the common mistakes you see happening in our community as it relates to mismanagement of finance and how you, like, what's the one message you want everyone to hear to address those common mistakes? When I first started the money plug. I started on Clubhouse and um, I used to do something. I don't want to cuss on here, but I my very first like little room I used to host, it was called Hood Ninjas Need Credit Too. Okay. And it was for recently released felons um, who were reintegrating in the society. I had started it based off of a connection that I had with a young man who I, it's crazy. He actually passed away um, a little while after, but he was a recently released felon. We connected on Clubhouse. He was from Philly. And all he wanted to do was be an author. But like when he was going and trying to pitch his ideas and trying to get somebody to help him, you know, get his book together, he didn't have the money for it. So and they weren't trying to sponsor it. So I started that room and I would just listen to these men tell their money stories. And then eventually it blew up and women started showing up. And then, you know, I started speaking to kids. And the resounding theme was they were defeated before they had even started the race. They were like. Why should I do this? They like banks don't they don't they don't mess with us no way. Nobody's gonna give me no money because I'm black. Nobody's gonna do this because I'm like everybody was just like not even willing to fight because they were just so beat down by the circumstances that you know life had unfortunately thrown their way. And I it was I started sounding like a broken record, like come on, y'all. Like you know that one annoying person in your friend group who's just like so optimistic, like girl, I'm going through something. Like I do not need like don't do that. That 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 that's 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 the guy in my, in my friend group. He's he's Mr. Optimistic. They exist everywhere. A thousand percent. Yeah. They hated it, but and, and it's so funny because if you ever look at any of my videos, you don't see my story in my videos. It's not something that you know I disclose every five seconds, you know, and it really, my message to them was always my story. 
I would tell them the things that I went through. You know, 2014 was the hardest year I've ever been through in my life. And I'd be outlining it in detail. And I'm like, if I can survive all of this, if I can survive everything that I've been through and come out on top, I know you can. You, but you ain't even tried. Like, how do you know? Like, like, ID, like, like, be real. How did you know? How you know? You ain't got no crystal ball. And I mean, listen, if you already lose it, it don't help to try. I mean, it don't hurt to try. If you lose again, you was already losing. You ain't, you ain't really lose nothing. Right. So it's just like, you know, my, my message I want all of you to take away is like, if you don't try, you'll never know. And then you'll spend the rest of your life, like, wondering, wishing, wishing you could go back to that time and do that thing. And all you had to do was just take that first step in the first place. Once you get your money together, that opens up the, the, like your eyes to so many other opportunities outside of money. Right. Once my money situation was solved, now I've figured out my life's passion, my legacy I'm leaving behind for my kids because I got that money stuff together first. Once your money's together, it just frees up so much. And I just want so many people to release themselves from the shackle of I can't. They're not going to help me. Nobody's here to walk me through it. I'm here. Mm. I'm here. There's a lot of people here. You just got to say you need help. Put your hand up. Blow the whistle. We can't come get you out the water if you're not blowing your whistle, mm -hmm. right? That's what they tell you yeah. when you crash. Mm -hmm. So you got to blow your whistle. Don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to start. So with that in mind, for those that are listening to this and they feel inspired that, you know, they're ready to jump in, how can they connect with you to get that started? Do you have courses? Do you offer uh, consultation sessions? Clubhouse no longer exists, so and I know that that's not an option. But yeah, talk to us a bit about you know how can they get started with you? Mm -hmm. well, so my website is themoneyplug.co, not .com. Um, my website has an online shop where you can buy digital products that I sell. Um, you can sign up for financial counseling services. I also just launched a shiny, mighty network community called the Dollars and Cents Society. It's in a soft launch status. It'll be open to everyone else March 1st. Um, I have a Facebook group that you can still join. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. They do got a link that you can get into the Mighty Network group early. Uh, but the Facebook group is called um, Plugged In, the Credit Clubhouse. Um, I'm on every social media platform y'all on. I'm even on PlayStation Network. I changed my PSN name to my Money Plug name <laughs> so people can find me there too. So at T-H-E-E -E Money Plug on all platforms. Um, I'm based out of Los Angeles. So if you here, call me. Uh, I would love to connect and all that stuff. Um, I'm at, I'm telling you, when I say I'm, I'm everywhere y'all are, that's not an exaggeration. Like, like Dion says, but, um, I, I, I ain't hard to find. <laughs> I ain't and ain't and ain't, trust me. And all you got to do is if you just Google Marquia Brown, the money plug, I promise you, like everything pops up. Okay. Tell me, tell me this. This is a question I usually think about with financial planners and experts. Let's say you get someone and they're finances in chaos and you get them on the right path. At which point, and I know you can put it in a range or general, but at which point do you say, all right, it's time for you to start investing. You need to get into the stock market. You need to get into Bitcoin or you need to branch beyond the, the budgets and everything because you're, you're, you're coming along, you're coasting, but now you need to make your money grow for you, make it compound. Do you transition to that or is that someone else in your network that you say, Dre, you've done really, really well. You've been out for about seven years now. You got some money saved up. You need to start investing. How does that work? 
I'm real big on community. So I've surrounded myself with a network of people who are well-versed in the subjects that I am not certified to give advice. I don't have any certifications regarding investing, so I don't give investment advice. I'm real big on the rules, especially when I, because I started off with credit. It, you got to be very, very careful what you say and doing because the, the feds is watching. Um, but uh, shout out to um, Building Bread on social media. His name's Kevin Matthews III. He's an amazing resource. I always, and it's actually a part of my financial counseling program. While we're going through, so it's a four-stage process. The first stage is always healing your relationship with money because I can teach you all the skills in the world, but if you still haven't healed that relationship that you have with money, you're still gonna be making the same mistakes you were making. So we heal your relationship with money first, and then I teach you how to make more money or how to elevate the skills that you have so that you can position yourself to make more money when you're ready to move on to the next thing. And then after that, we talk about managing your money properly. And then that's kind of where investing comes in because a lot of people don't wait until they're debt free to invest. But it's also not up to me to dictate when you are ready to start investing. So a part of my kind of process is introducing them to other financial influencers who post about it on social, just follow them. You don't gotta do nothing. I'm not saying open a brokerage account or anything, follow them. If you got questions, ask them, or you can ask me and I ask them for you. You know, I have a really good relationship with uh, with him. There's also Better Wallet on social media. He's a mark, is amazing. Um, I also love influencers where investing isn't necessarily their like thing, but they talk about it in a way that makes you comfortable. Like, oh, okay, what else you got? Like, so Millennial in Debt, which is Melissa, the one who wrote. Um, so you, this is why I'm broke. Um, there's also Bougie Budgeter. Um, she's, oh, I love her so much. She, <laughs> she's in the DMV. Um, and so, you know, that's home for me. So I'm just obsessed. And she talks about it through the lens of being an employee. She is, a, a she has a nine to five. And she when she talks about things like investing for retirement and, you know, just investing personally, she talks from that lens, which I love sharing with people, not just entrepreneurs who like retired themselves and their family. That's really unrealistic for a lot of people. So I like exposing them to different people on different areas of the spectrum who give sound financial advice regarding investing. But I don't help you invest. I just kind of push you in the right direction, give you a lot of my recommendations, and then we go from there. So you'll tell me your goals and what you're doing, and I just keep you on track to make sure you're doing it. No, I love that answer. And and the one thing, because you're such a, a big book enthusiast, at what age do you, for people who have young people, Say young kids, five years of age. I read oh, something that said JP, JP Morgan said that he was doing, in a book I read about him, he was running his household finances at five. Warren, or J.D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller started thinking about investing when he was 11. Buffett was nine, Warren Buffett. And what would you say for people of our persuasions and our demographic, when is the best time to introduce them, our kids to finance or I know reading should be early, but just financial literature or kids' book that you might recommend. Immediately. Immediately. All right. There's a book. Okay. Oh, my goodness. What is her name? It's slipping my mind right now. Her name is Pep Talks on Instagram. She's been in the financial education space for years up in Philly. Um, and Rachel, sorry. Rachel is her name. She has a children's book called Amber's Savings Box, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is the name of the book. Absolutely love that book. I have five kids of my own, um, and we actually homeschooled. And as somebody who had such an early introduction to just knowledge in general, when my kids were in public school and I was in the military, I obviously did not have the luxury of being able to really put eyes on what was going on. But when I was retired in 2019, I had a 
my one of my kids was diagnosed with three different types of ADHD. And like the school was trying to convince me that she was the problem and they was talking medication and IEPs. And I'm just like, oh, hold. This is, she's a kid. Like, what are you, of, of course she don't want to sit still. She's a child. And so I, listen, I'm one of them, like, I'll just, I'm one of them people, if you won't do it the right way, I'll do it myself. So I pulled every single one of my kids out of school and we homeschooled. And we homeschooled during the entire pandemic, not virtual school. Like I was everything. I, we was doing virtual museum tours. We were doing, you know, I, when we moved back to America, we were going to the zoos. We was, I was the, the one with the flag guiding the kids. We had a, we had uniforms, we had everything. Let me tell you, like it was legit. And that was when I realized, you know, a lot of people depend on the financial system, I mean, the education system to teach their kids these things. But the earlier you introduce your kids just to the concepts, it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to money, but just some financial concepts, the, the, more, the easier it is for them to grasp when they're older. So for example, like understanding the time value of money, right? So we understand what getting paid by the hour means. So when we make purchases and, you know, I'm just like, damn, that's, that's, I feel like the fall off everybody hits Chris. You know how, like when he would do something and he would know how much it costs. I know how long it's going to take me to make that money back. <laughs> like I know how many hours that's going to take me to replace that purchase. You know? So I think in that sense. So for my children, I live in a very tech savvy household. I grew up in the cyberspace in the military. That was my bread and butter as a, uh, I've, Shout out to the National Security Agency, DISA. You know, I've worked in some really interesting places. Um, so we're a super tech savvy household. So my kids earn screen time. Um, you know, you, 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 you out of screen time for the week and you want some more? Okay, let's make a deal. What you got for me? All right, well, I need you. If you do, if you give me more of this every day, I'll go ahead and give you this up front and you just owe me on the back end. But if you don't give me what you say you're going to give me, I'm taking it all. You know, I'm taking your whole iPad. You're just not getting nothing. And that teaches them, for example, the value of, let's say, a car. Adults get a loan for a car. You don't make your payments. Guess what? They're going to come snatch it, right? It makes it easier for them to understand them concepts when, once they become adults. If we're introducing these, these things to them, these principles to them in fun ways that they'll be able to understand as children. It doesn't necessarily have to be books. It doesn't have to be you sit in mm. this chair and I'm going to point on this board and teach you that way. And it was, that was also something I had to unlearn as a homeschool parent. Um, or de-school as what, what we call it in the community. But, you know, everything is a learning experience when you're a parent. You are your child's first teacher. So anything you can teach them, let them sit in on the money meetings that you're having every month. When you get paid and you mm. got to sit down and you looking at them bills, sit down and let them do that. Parents be like, oh, they don't need to see this. Uh, it's my responsibility, not theirs. It's still your responsibility whether they're going to be there or not. So let's clear that up. However, you are disillusioning them you are showing them the reality of the world so that when they are thrust into it, whether it's expected or unexpected, you know, they know what, what it consists of. They understand the power and balance in a budget. And they know that mom had to rob Peter to pay Paul. I don't want no part of that. You know, kids learn from seeing, even if you're not saying nothing to them, just show them. Even if you're not sure yourself, as you learn on your journey, expose your kids to it. They might be into it. You never know. And there's, you know, with the internet being what it is right now, there are entirely too many resources online. Teacher pay teachers. Let me tell y'all, teacher pay teachers, education.com. Like those are my go-tos. I'm print, I'd be printing workshops, worksheets out like it's nothing. Like you would think I'm hustling out my office. So like my printer always um, there's entirely too many resources that are available for parents for us to still be sitting here and saying, I don't know how to teach my kids about money. 
Do you not know how to teach your kids about money or are you not confident in your personal finance mm. skills and feel as though you don't want to mess your kids up? Because that's a different conversation different we got to have if that's the yeah. case. True. Wow. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, as we move into the final four, I want to, we have a bank of questions that we usually use and um, no random order, but here's one. What is the biggest risk you've ever taken? getting married a second time. Let me tell y'all something. That sounds real crazy because I'm only 30, but if you're in the military, you know. Like, when I talk to civilians, they be looking at me like, you got how many kids? And you on what number married? Like, but in the military, it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, that's like a thing for us. But like, man, after my first marriage, I was, it, ooh, it left me rough. It was a, an abusive relationship. It was a very nasty custody battle. Um, and I was just absolutely like, bro, no, get out my face, ill voice. Like, I, have, I wanted nothing to do with nothing. Um, but the husband that I have now, we grew up together. Um, I've known him since I was like six. Um, so he's seen me at the various stages of life. We we literally became adults together and he was very tenacious. But it also, through his pursuit of me and trying to lock it down, um, it taught me the power in partnership. And it taught me, you know, together, we, we decided to become partners first in everything. He's my biggest supporter. I'm his biggest supporter. When he said he wanted to get out the military, all right, cool, let's start working on your med board package. When he told me he wanted to get in the military, I was like, all right, cool, let's go see a recruiter. We sat down together. Like, we do everything together as a unit. And that taught me the value in my village. My village might not look conventional. It might not look traditional, but it's mine and it's strong. And we got, like, we all we got. And so, you know, <laughs> that was the biggest risk I took. Getting remarried, if anybody else knows anything about personal finance, getting married is a big risk. But doing it after failing so publicly and so, man, so harshly, um, was, man, it was the biggest risk I ever took. And it paid off so well. I would never be able to do what I do now without the support. And, you know, the of course you could do it. The, Delu, the Delulu that my husband has really fueled mine. So that was definitely the biggest risk, but it paid off immensely. Nice, nice. Second question here is, who would you like to be stranded on a deserted island with? Y'all gonna laugh at me. Y'all gonna laugh at me. Got Fieri. Right, uh, like, no, I, I'm only laughing. I'm only laughing because I didn't expect Guy Fieri. I was thinking about everybody but him. But talk to me. Talk to me. My followers know I'm a notoriously horrible cook. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I am horrible at cooking. Like, my husband do all the cooking in here. Like, I don't even go in my kitchen. I couldn't even tell you what's in my refrigerator right now for a million dollars. I would leave that day. <laughs> God, Gary, gonna make sure I eat. Right, right. I, I'm a carnival. I'm a carnival cruiser. Let me tell you, them burgers. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Mm. God, Gary, gonna make sure I eat till help get here. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, all the, all the twists and all that stuff. I need him. Yeah. Okay. You'll be set. So you'll be on the island, but you won't be hungry. Sure won't. Sure won't. Sure won't. Listen, food get me do anything. It's so funny. My my troops used to bribe me with food. They'd be like, "Hey, I get you Chick Fil A. I ain't see nothing. I ain't see nothing." Right. 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 Food is my is my everything. Like that's the way to my heart. Right. Like. 
you give me food, I sit down and do whatever you need me to do. Right. So food is just that. <laughs> you want to kidnap me? Put on side of a van, free food, and you got it. <laughs> Slide me over a triple burger with cheese. I, I, I got what you need. <laughs> a triple burger? A triple burger? I might give you a couple of these kids to play on your package. Give me a triple burger. That's hilarious. Too funny. Well, here's, here's the third Final Four. Um... What's the one thing people don't know about you that you wish they did? I'm so much more than that first impression you think you have of me when you see me on social media. I recently had a discussion on LinkedIn as well as uh, on live. Um, I had an interaction where um, a lot of people, when they hear that I'm an influencer, they instantly turn their nose up at me. And they're like, you don't know nothing about finance. Like, why should I listen to you? And then when I lay out all of my certifications, they're like, oh, now you're interested in speaking to me. Example, in this meeting, I was telling people that, you know, these were higher education financial professionals, bankers, you know, people who are very heavy in the community. And they were. Yeah. Uh, and they were. we were discussing what are ways that we can disseminate information to clients and, you know, just people who need to know it. And I said, well, if you don't have a strong presence on social media, you could always partner with influencers. I'm real big on collaborate, don't hate, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not a competition. We're all, we all got the same goal. Bro, they laughed in my face. Like, no exaggeration. They, like, laughed in my face and scoffed at the idea of partnering with influencers. And I was, I was mad. I, I'm, what? Excuse me? Because I'm a influencer. But I'm also in this room with you. So what does that say? And... Someone scheduled, uh, several someone scheduled meetings with me afterwards. And we would do the meetings, like 15, 30-minute little coffee talks is what I call them. And at the end of each meeting, what I would always hear is, I didn't, I never thought, like, Mm. I didn't have this impression of you. And, like, or, like, you, like, completely blew my expectations out the water. And you know what it reminded me of? Growing up in here, and you are very articulate Mm. for a black girl. You speak Mm. so well. (laughs) <laughs> how, did, how did you learn English in such a young age? Anybody who knows me knows I am extremely confrontational. If you say my content, you know yeah. I'm extremely confrontational. I was like, "What you say?" Yeah. Huh? Like, say that louder. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't think I heard you that first time. Right. But like, it completely grinds my gears that people will take one look at me and they see the green hair, the nails, the facial piercings, the very colorful language, and they assume that I hold no value. Mm. They assume that that they don't need to get to know me. I don't have nothing that could like, you know, benefit them in any way. And then later on, when they see the actual value that I have and when they see me out here shining and when they hear, oh yeah, she was a speaker at the National Credit Union Administration's DEI summit. Or she did this with the FDIC. Or, yeah, she was in the New York Times. You didn't know that? Like, that's when they're like, oh. And they're, like, dying to introduce right. themselves to me. You late. You late. But, like, don't say, back then they didn't want me. Yeah. Now it's hot day all along. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Mike Jones. Mike Jones. <laughs> Y'all don't understand. Like, wealth doesn't look like one thing. Because wealth doesn't mean one thing. Wealth means something different to everybody. So don't judge me based off of what you perceive wealth to be. Just get to know me. Ask me first. Talk to me. Stop walking up to people thinking you know their whole life story in the two seconds that you set eyes on them. You don't know what blessings you are 
pretty much taking yourself out the running for it because you wanted to be judgmental and you wanted to put your expectations for yourself on others mm. instead of just asking them, who are you? I love that. I love that. Here's the last of uh, the four questions, final four questions. What never, what never fails to make you laugh? Um, <laughs> I'm a goofball, if y'all haven't noticed. I love dad jokes. Okay. I absolutely love dad jokes. Like the cornier, the best. Oh, I got one. Y'all yeah, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> what do you call an alligator in a vest? An alligator in a vest. Oh, uh, in a vest. I don't know. Dapper Dan. <laughs> An investigator. Uh, <laughs> investigator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like love dancing. It's a running like, joke in my friend group. And the cornier the better. I love like, it. I could be having the worst day. And they will send me, there's a whole channel dedicated to dad jokes, all deaf dad jokes. And they'll just send me TikToks. <laughs> like, here you go this, we got you yeah. pour it into you. So I have a, jokes. It's, it's never I have a shirt that I wear. That my, my, my daughter, it's not, it's not her favorite, but I love it. It says, I keep all of my dad jokes in a database. In a database. That's a good one. That is a good one. I like that one. Yeah. I like dad jokes, too. My husband's not at that stage. My husband's not at that fatherhood stage yet. He's still trying to cling on to his youth. He's not doing the running shoes with the athletic pants. Okay. And the cat, yeah. with the dad, the corny dad jokes, he's not there yet. But our oldest, she'll be 13 this year. So I told him, it's time. It's time. Yeah. We, got to, we got to get you ready. <laughs> That's funny. Well, this this has been fascinating. I just enjoy speaking with you. I feel like we could talk for hours. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you guys for what you do with the podcast. You know, I'm real big on community. If it wasn't for the community that rallied around my mom, I wouldn't be where I am. And so, you know, it's our turn to give back. So whenever y'all need me, listen, I'm here. Uh, I'm here for y'all. I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll have you back on the pod for, for sure. Thanks for being on. No problem. Thank you, guys. All right.